Hello, hello. Welcome to the last episode of this season, episode 39 with Kathleen Trotter, who you're going to meet in a few moments, has been maybe one of my favorite episodes. We get to talk about so many things that are near and dear to my heart, nutrition, fitness, wellness, mental wellness, all of the things um, that I think really make a difference in living a life that feels good, that we're excited about. And um, one of the things I loved about this episode is that it's it's not like a, a short-term diet fix. Like the answer is, oh, you just got to do X diet and then you're going to get the beach body that you've always dreamed of. It's more like we talk about long-term sustainable fitness goals, health goals, life goals, and what kind of steps you can take to achieve that. And it's really more about lifestyle than it is about one little thing that you do, if that makes sense. And Kathleen and I dive into it. So you're going to get a lot of good tips and tricks, but I just wanted to jump on here first and foremost to say happy holidays. Um, I hope you made it through an amazing Thanksgiving with friends and family, and um, I hope you're taking care of yourself this time of year. I mean, it's been such a wild ride, right, at the past couple of years, and as it continues, this this world, this landscape that we're living in is so different than than what we're used to. So now as we navigate into the new normal, my hope is, I don't know if you can hear my cats zooming around in the background, but it is dinner time side digression anyways. So I just think it's really important that we have a lot of self-compassion care for ourselves and one another in the midst of all the things that we're going through collectively, globally, consciously, um, it's important to be mindful of that and, and give yourself some grace and, and just be kind. Um, and so with that in mind, I'm going to take a sabbatical for the month of December. I'm going to take some time to create some amazing content for you coming up in the new year, January, 2022. I'm so excited to kick off our first episode in the new year with round two of another conversation with Kathleen Trotter. I just found her so knowledgeable, so inspiring that I probably could have sat there and talked to her all day long. So I thought I'd break that conversation up into two parts. So here is part one. Without further ado, please enjoy. Also, if it inspires you, you find it helpful, please, please, please remember to share it with your friends who you think could find it valuable. This helps us grow our following. It helps people find information that could change their lives. So please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review to share with your friends, especially for those episodes that really hit home and resonate with you. Without further ado, I give you Kathleen Trotter. I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Thank you and be well. Ah, big kisses. I am so jazzed about this interview. I've been looking forward to speaking with our guest today, Kathleen Trotter, for a while now. We've had this on the books for, I think, over a month or so. And um, I feel like I read your bio, I read what you're about, Kathleen, and I felt like 
this is a direction I've been wanting to go in my life. And I could have seen myself go when I was in college, but I kind of veered off into the yoga and, and wellness industry. But so you're really, um, passionate about fitness. Uh, before we hit record, we were talking about like the three pillars of your secret sauce, which is like not only fitness, you know, in terms of like exercise and, and health and wellness in that way, but also, um, mental fitness in terms of like life coaching, which is a service you provide and also, um, nutrition, you're a certified nutritionist, right? Um, and so those three pillars and how they fit together and what it is that you provide to people and what it is that you share are all things that I really want to dig into in particular, um, nutrition is near and dear to my heart. Um, I have been like, so just to pull from your bio, Kathleen's unique approach to fitness and coaching, namely that a person's mindset is just as important as the number of hours they spend at the gym. Like, Amen, sister. Thank you. Sets her apart from many of her peers. And I would say, yeah, that's so true. Like we get so one track minded about, um, you know, I want to look good and feel good in my body. So that means a hundred percent of the time I got to hit the gym and that's the only way to get results. And it's such a, we're selling yourself so short that way. Right. Yeah. And well, then, I'm excited to be here, but can I just interject one yeah. second? I love that, that the mindset is just as important, but I would almost say it's more important because the problem is, is that knowing and doing is so very different things. So I love this Derek Sivers quote. He says to paraphrase, if um, knowledge was enough, we would all be billionaires with six pack abs, right? Like we all know when it comes to health, you know, we should be walking more. We should be sleeping more. We should be drinking more water, but like knowing and doing it, that just because, you know, doesn't mean you're actually going to follow through or that you're going to follow through on a consistent basis. So it's not that I think you need to spend equal time, you know, on your mindset as you do at the gym. It's that your gym time will not actually happen if your mindset is dialed in, right? You might be able to get to the gym for one day or two days, or even a week or two with sort of a slightly problematic mindset. Um, but when you're doing things to shame yourself, when you're doing things because you hate yourself, when you're doing things that are are, you know, unrealistic that don't serve you that, you know, they're going to either cause an injury or you're going to get burnt out, or you're just going to be like, screw this. This is not for me. Um, you're, it's not going to continue. So for long-term health and success, a mindset where you can step back and you can say, okay, what is the choice that serves current and future me? What is the choice that I need to do for my health versus the thing that I want to do? Uh, so often we get derailed in the moment by our desires and that takes us away from the goals of the future, right? Of who we want to be our fittest future self. Um, and we will only create that fitter future self if we have the mindset in the now, if we control, can control the now, because the now is all that we have um, the ability to exact direct control over. So it's, I, I think that when people think mindset, they think it's like, okay, that's a separate thing you do. And then being at the gym is a separate thing you do. And then eating is a separate thing. And my point if people listening get one thing is that it's not separate, it's all interconnected and you actually cannot parse out one without understanding how that one interacts with 
everything else. So if you want to get to go to the gym, if you want to go on a run, if you want to be active with your kids, you have to work on getting your mindset dialed in. And it's not that you either have, you know, the perfect mindset or the worst mindset. This is not a light switch. It's not on or off. This is a journey. It's a process. Um, you know, I've been in therapy for 20 years and I'm still processing, I'm still going, and that's the joy of living, but it is something that I want everyone to be aware of. And I don't want people to think like, oh, I'll, I'll work on my psychology. I'll work on my mindset. I'll work on my inner dialogue once I'm fit. Right. Mm. It's, it's not how it happens. They work you, you together, you go. And it's also because mindset is critical when you make a mistake, when you fall off your fitness course, which you're going to, because you're human. So the mindset allows you to be like, Oh, interesting. You know, I just had a really large meal, even though I said I wasn't going to, I said, I was going to stop when I was full and I didn't. Okay. So why, you know, was I too stressed? Did I let myself get too hungry? Or I planned to wake up early to do a workout and then I slept through my alarm. Okay. So why did I do that? Maybe it's because I didn't go to bed early enough. Maybe I drank too much coffee yesterday morning. So then I was wired. So then I couldn't sleep. So then I couldn't get up. Right. So <laughs> It's when you fall off, when you make a choice, you're not proud of the mindset the inner dialogue. That's what allows you to analyze that so that you can then create a better system for next time. So then next time you follow through. So anyway, I think I totally derailed this interview, but I just wanted to say that because I don't want people to think that they're separate boxes, right? That you, you go to the gym or you have your mindset or you're working on your nutrition. It's all, we are one human being and everything is part of who we are. Yeah. I love that. No, thank you for interjecting. Please feel free to do that. This is a casual conversation. You're sharing your knowledge with me and your belief system with the audience. And I want you to, I want you to do that. So I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the holistic approach to the inseparability of the mind, you know, and, and I study and I teach yoga. So the, in to me, it's inseparability of mind, body, and soul and, yeah. and yes, having that be like the foundation or even it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you're saying is that that is the foundation that allows you to take the step towards fitness and health, whether that mean a new exercise program, um, which includes nutrition, or if you're starting with nutrition or, you know what I mean? It's like, it sounds yeah. like you have to lay the foundation you have well, to fertilize I, the soil for the rest to be able to grow out of it. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I don't want people to think like, okay, so if that's what it has to come first, that they don't exercise and they lay the sure. psychological foundation. <laughs> I think what I'm saying more is instead of it being one foundation that the rest grows out of, that they all work together in this ever evolving pyramid. Right. And, mm -hmm. and um, as you work on your mindset, it's easier to work on your fitness and your nutrition. But as you work on your fitness and nutrition, you get better data that allows you to then solidify your mindset. So it's maybe it's better if I give you an example. So one of the things that my therapist got me to do years ago, and I will always be grateful to her is keep a mood data journal. So when I first started therapy, I was having a lot of issues with depression and a lot of issues with follow through. Like I didn't want to work out. I didn't want to go to work. I just wanted to kind of lay in bed. And what she said to me is, okay, so for the next two weeks, every time you work out, you're going to put the number on a scale of one to 10 of before your workout. And then a number on a scale of one to 10 after of your mood. So if you're a one before you work out and afterwards you're a 1.2, you're going to put that down. If you're a seven before you work out and then you're a 7.2, you're going to put that down. Um, and the best part of doing this was 
I saw I was always in a better mood after I worked out. So it led to this tagline that I say to all my clients, the worse your mood, the more important the workout. Cause we often mm. think, okay, well, you know, I'll work out when I'm in a good mood. And if I'm not in a good mood, well, you know, I can skip it and watch the Netflix or whatever. And I always say to my clients, actually it's the opposite. If you're already in a good mood, that's the day you can skip your workout. If you are low, if you're depressed, if you're lethargic, that's the day you go for a walk. But here's the trick that exercise was definitely laying the foundation for a healthier mindset and psychology, but getting going and actually doing the workout then gave me the data. So now over these 20 years, you know, I'm almost to a point that I don't even consider not working out because it's so ingrained in my knowledge that I will feel better. But on the rare occasion, I do say, Oh, I don't want to, I just say, Kathleen, you will feel better if you work out Every single piece of data tells you that, right? So that's what I mean by the mindset helps you work out. But then once you work out, it starts to aid your mindset, that non-negotiable. I say to my clients, like, you just have to look at these choices as non-negotiable. You, you can't open the door to debate your, with yourself, mm. um, but that gets easier and easier to not debate with yourself. The more you do it and the more, you know, that you actually feel better. And that goes for nutrition as well, right? Um, if you go out and you have way too many drinks and then you feel terrible the next day, and then you can say to yourself, okay, interesting. That's data. I don't feel great when I do that. Maybe instead of seven drinks, I should have had one because one would have given me the so pro, so social lubricant to feel good, but not enough to make me feel terrible tonight. Or, you know, if you have a little bit of ice cream and then you're like, Oh, you know what? This was really enjoyable. I had a date with my partner. It was a really nice night. That felt okay. That's good data. But then on the night where you eat the entire tub and you bend and you feel like crap, you're like, Oh, interesting. That's really good data. So but the more you experience the workouts and how you eat, and then also the mindset piece and you reflect on it all, um, they just support each other into an upward spiraling system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my goals for my clients are never perfectionism, right? Because that doesn't exist uh, being perfect and it's unrealistic goal. It sets us up for failure. But my goal for my clients is to sort of toggle in a higher paradigm, right? So to trend positive, to sort of have more and uh, greater and more frequent positive habits this month than you did last month, right? And your good days get better and more frequent and your sort of bad days get less frequent and also sort of quote unquote less bad. So you're always sort of toggling, right? Like every week I have days that are better than others, um, moments that are better than others, days that I have, you know, a more positive mindset, more optimistic days that I have, you know, slightly harder for me to have that optimistic mindset. I have days where my workouts are are a walk. I have days, my workouts are like a really intense Peloton, but I'm at such, I'm, I toggle at a really much higher paradigm than I used to. You know, when I spent my first half of my life, I had divorced parents. I was very overweight. I was taller than everybody. I was so awkward. And, you know, I'd cry to get out of gym class. I would sneak food. I like, so my bad days were really bad. I had weeks, like, you know, I was like weeks. I didn't want to get out of bed. And now it's like a bad day is like, you know, I might sleep in a bit. It might take me a harder time to get out. You know, I love some fudge bars, so I might have one fudge bar, but not 10. Like it's, it's just different. And that's what I want for my clients. I want them to have realistic goals, things that they can sustain, be compassionate with themselves. Um, and use all of their experiences. It's the Carol Dweck idea of the growth mindset, right? So all experiences are just data and you get more and more positive data that, that, you know, being on your health horse makes you feel fitter and healthier and more energetic. And then the more data you have, the more you want to stay on that path. And when you do fall off the horse, you course correct so much faster because you're like, oh my God, I feel better when I'm on my horse. I want to get back on, you know? So that becomes more of the norm. Uh, It's all about changing the norms and changing where you sort of fluctuate within your paradigm.
Mm, I love that so much. Yes. Thank you. And you mentioned that, so you have two books, one, uh, the one that, um, I became aware of the, the way that I found you is the second one. I believe your fittest future self making choices today for a happier, healthier, fitter future. You, uh, will you tell me a little bit about this book and and the first one too? I mean, yeah, yeah. Let's, well, let's hear about both of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to start with the first one only because I think that um, it's called finding your fit and it'll give the listeners a little bit of um, a, a taste of who I am. Um, so as I said, I grew up not healthy, not fit, very sort of insecure. Um, my mom was a single mom. She is an actress and she was at the time um, a classically trained theater actress. So we were moving around depending on where she was performing. Um, and I just, I just couldn't get active with my peers. I just, I, I don't know. It just, looking back, it almost feels like it was a different version of me. Yeah. You said in one of the interviews, I listened to you, you talked about like getting older as an integration of your sort of adult you and your childhood. You, I really liked that. Uh, I think part of my therapy as I get older is, is being kinder to my childhood Kathleen, because I get very, and get very frustrated with her. But anyway, childhood Kathleen was insecure and did not feel energized or empowered. And my mom finally got me a membership to the YMCA. And she said, listen, if you don't want to be active with your peers, because she tried everything. She tried to get me to do sports. She tried me, you know, ballet, like everything. And I just, being with my peers was too anxiety producing for me. So she said, okay, so the YMCA, the demographic is like over 40 and under five. So you can go. And we started going and we, you know, I walked on the treadmill for 10 minutes, which slowly moved into doing some aerobic classes, doing some weights. Eventually I started teaching aerobics. um, And this is what started my career is, you know, I was taking so many aerobics classes that the, the woman who ran the Y was like, Kathleen, do you want to learn how to teach aerobics? And I didn't have any money at the time, but the Y has this program where they will teach you to be an aerobics instructor if you then volunteer for them. So that's where I started. And then I was like, you know, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer, but I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll do my undergrad in kinesiology and, and I'll be a personal trainer to sort of give me some money. And then after I'll go to law school and anyway, law school never happened, but this this career just sort of became my calling. But the first book came out of what my mom gave me at the YMCA, which was a number of things. First, it has to be a non-negotiable, but how you're active is up to you. So she didn't say, Kathleen, you have to go do ballet. What she said was, you need to be active for your body, your mind, you know, your soul, like you need activity in your life. So let's find a way that works for you. It doesn't matter what works for your favorite celebrity or your father or your mother. Uh, it matters what works for you. And then the other thing she did, which is amazing, is she made the bar for admission super, super low. She didn't say you have to go for an hour. What she said is walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes. And if you just start small and you get those little wins, and again, it's that idea of that upward spiral, right? So I went and then I was like, oh, I can walk for 10 minutes. This is possible. So then I started for 15 and then for 20, you know, and then I started doing some like Jane Fonda leg lifts, which is then I was like, well, maybe if I can do these, you know, Jane Fonda DVD leg lifts at home, maybe I can do an aerobics class at the Y, you know? So it's, but it was because she said to me, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. It matters what you can do. And we don't care about perfect. we don't care about you being like this model or an athlete. We just care about you getting a little bit healthier tomorrow than you are today. So that was the first book. And it really just talks about 
how something is always better than nothing, how perfectionism is not helpful. Uh, it talks a lot about the Captain Obvious aspects of health, right? Just like drinking more water, getting more sleep. And we often write those off because we know them, but the trick is, are we actually doing them? Most often not. So that's the first book. Um, and the it's uh, Finding Your Fit, A Compassionate Trainer's Guide um, to Living Your Best Life or something like that. And the compassion is really key, right? Because so often we're so mean to, to ourselves, you know, we belittle ourselves and, and that's just, I don't know, not helpful, that belittling, that shaming. Um, I don't know. Do you have any sort of thoughts on that before I go into the second book? You look like you're sort of... I mean, I just so resonate with all of that, that, like I said, I was just reading through your bio. I was like, oh my gosh, this was my high school experience. I overate. I felt awkward. I was really tall, like gangly and just felt like I stuck out like a, a sore thumb for all the wrong reasons. And then oh, maybe all teenagers in some way, maybe I'm sure yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's our experience, but maybe it's just being a kid and then being a teenager that you just feel like you do not fit in, you know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. If I could just go back to my younger self instead of hug myself. Oh God. yeah. And like, so oh, sweetie, it gets better. Like I, know, gets I just better. like all of the kids in middle school and high school, we think it's, I remember thinking this, like it was the end of the world. If my hair wasn't straightened just right, or my makeup wasn't on and I got up at 5am, you know, and it's like high school is just the tiniest little bar bit part of your life. And totally. those kids that, you know, if you're not in the popular crowd, it doesn't matter. This is, this is not the rest of your life and it gets better. Like, trust me, it does. <laughs> so, no, I'm, yes. not, I'm not arguing. Like I, it's not that I believe that every bad thing is there for quote, for quote, a reason. Like I, I but I do think that something comes of every experience that you have. Mm -hmm. And although I would hug my younger self so much because she definitely struggled through a lot and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I do know that it's one of the reasons why I am good at my job because I learned to interact with people much older than me. Like I, I spent a lot of time with my mom at the theaters. So, you know, when you're a personal trainer, especially when you're a personal trainer at like 18, 19, 20, like you're not training other 20 year olds because 20 year olds are not the people who have the money to pay you. So I really do think it's one reason why I have the business that I have today, because I was able to at 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, hang out for an hour at a time with adults. And I felt secure and I could talk about things that, you know, made me such a nerd and nobody liked me in high school because I was a kid quoted Shakespeare, right? Like I didn't watch any television. You know, I, I talked about psychology and Shakespeare and all, you know, but with adults, they were like, oh, that's cool. They wanted to talk to me about that. So I don't know. It's, that's also interesting, right? If I could just go back to my younger me and just sort of not just give me a hug, but also just say like, it will all be okay. Mm -hmm. It's not the end of the world. So, but anyway, I'm very grateful to my experience. And it also gave me a lot of compassion because I think that if you've never struggled as a fitness professional with being overweight, with not having the motivation, with not having that sort of mindset. Um, if you weren't an athlete as a kid, sometimes I'm sure it would be easy to not uh, connect with the client that are in front of you, right? And part of personal training is putting the personal in the client and, and really treating the person that's in front of you. So not imposing just because it's easy for you or that you find it easy to exercise on that person. So to really talk with them and say, okay, what, what is the reason, what is behind your methods of self-sabotage? You know, I was having a talk with a client last night and he is super, super successful. And he just, there's a couple things with nutrition that he just can't quite wrap his head around. And I said to him, you know, uh, let's call him Billy 
And I was like, you know, Billy, this is what I think is happening. I think you grew up with such a self-concept that you're not an athlete and that you will always be chubby, that you are not applying all the skills that you apply in all the rest of your life. Like he's a really successful professional. He's an amazing father of many children, of multiple children. He's a great husband. And in every other part of his life, he has a goal. He creates the steps that is going to make that goal happen. He just has that ability. But I think because of his self-concept, he just, he doesn't believe that it's possible. So he self-sabotages over and over again. And I said, like, I was like, you, you can do it. You have it in you. You just don't believe you can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am able to say that because I remember being that, that kid. And like, part of why I didn't exercise and why I overate was I thought that that's who I was. So I did self-sabotage and I just thought, why even try? Because if I try, I'm not going to be successful anyway, because that's not who I am. And the difference is now I have 20 years of data that shows I actually am the person who gets up and exercises. I am the person who eats well. I do love vegetables, right? So I think that anybody listening who's struggling with that aspect, you just have to say to yourself, the only way to create a new identity, the only way to create a new um, self-concept is one moment at a time. And whenever you think, oh God, I can't go for a walk. You think, no, if I want to be a type of person who walks, I got to go for a walk. If I want to be that fit person, like another client a couple of days ago was talking about how the best time in her life, she was doing uh, like 20 minutes of cardio, uh, like five days a week. And she was sweaty and she loved it. And she's just like, I'm just so upset. I'm not there anymore. She's had a bunch of injuries. And I said, okay, so that's how you frame your goal. Cause she's having a trouble doing her physio exercises. I was like, it's the goal is not to do the physio exercises. The goal is this is what you have to do today. If you want to be doing those 20 minutes of cardio and sweating your ass off in the future, right? She didn't have the motivation because the physio for her was just like something boring she had to do, but you have to connect it to the why, uh, the why that matters to you and say, okay, well in this moment, what do I have control over? I have control over eating well, getting my sleep, which will help with recovery and doing my physio. And then I slowly build up, you know, five minutes, six minutes of easy easy cardio seven. And then eventually you get more intense, you get longer and you will be doing the thing that you love. But instead of focusing on what you can't do in this moment, you have to think, okay, so if I want to do X, if I want my fitter future self to be doing these five things, what do I have to do today to allow that to happen? Mm -hmm. Mm, I love that. That's so nice. Yeah. I think that it's so overwhelming for us as, you know, I think about, uh, myself back then it, it just felt like, wow, that goal feels like so unattainable because it's way oh, over there. And I didn't even know where to start. Right. Know where to start. Yes. So when you're working with somebody who's new, maybe to both exercise and, or nutrition, and here's another topic I want to discuss is, all of the nutrition theory out there. It's so overwhelming, you know, like X diet is going to solve all of your problems and, um, Y diet is bad for you because of this new study. And so, um, there's so much diet theory out there. And I think that's one of the things in my health coaching practice that I, I feel like trips people up the most is, you know, one doctor is touting this and the other doctor is like, no, that's totally wrong. So it's like, who do we trust and where do we even start with this stuff? Will you talk to me about absolutely yeah. your nutrition well, I, philosophy? Yeah. So I'm going to start back with, so I think the answer to that question will actually connect back. I because I never even finished my discussion of my second book. So your fit is yes. future self is the idea of 
choices you make today, creating your fitter future you. But in the book, I divide it into three categories. So I have your workout mix, your nutrition mix, and your mindset mix. And the idea is that there are three legs of a table and the top of the table is sort of like the you mix, that who you're creating. And that the three legs of the table all support each other, as we sort of talked about in the earlier uh, portion of the interview. So if we look at well, each of the mixes, to be honest, is has the same basic concept that it's there's no one perfect recipe. There's only the recipe that works for you. Um, and that recipe that works for you will change. You know, it'll be different in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s. Um, and if we go to new, and so all of them is about being what I call like an informed and an intelligent mix maker. So instead of thinking about, okay, well, that works for my celeb- favorite celebrity, or that works for my mom, or that works for my dad. It's about a data collection of what is going to work for you. So the first thing is obviously always to understand, like, what are your goals? Because it's easy to say like, oh, I want to be fit, but like, what does that mean to you? So some people fit, if you're an athlete fit is being, you know, um, really excellent at your sport for some people being fit means I want to be able to be mobile and dynamic with my grandkids and get down on the ground and play with them. For some people, it's more about an aesthetic thing. For some people, you know, they might have high cholesterol um, or diabetes in the, the family history. So they're like, okay, so my version is not getting those things, like doing everything possible I can to set myself up for success uh, as I grow older so that I don't develop type two diabetes or I don't, you know, develop high cholesterol. So, so part of it is just really stepping back and, and understanding what your goals are, because depending on your version of fit will depend on what your mix is going to be. Um, so that, I think that's the first thing, because even when you talk about diets, part of it is, is that you have to figure out like, what are you eating for? Are you eating for performance? Are you eating for longevity? Because, you know, they're not actually necessarily the same thing. Are you eating primarily for brain health? Are you eating for weight loss? Are you eating for hormonal balance? And they're all for sure interconnected, but depending on what your top priority are, they it will um, make what you eat slightly different. Um, so that's that. And so in the book, I actually go through a lot of different ways of eating. And I talk about the different pros and the cons of each of the ways of eating. And because realizing like one of the things that uh, my therapist taught me just about everything in life is everything is just like differently good and differently bad. And a pro for one thing for you might be, you know, a con for me, like it's very much also based on your personality. So I often use my mom and I, um, as an example of like, she is very much, she's the type of person that before, okay, she loves shortbread cookies. And for example, and if she didn't have shortbread cookies in the house, she's the type of person that would, that would actually make her eat many, many other bad things. Cause it would be like, Oh, I'm depriving myself. That's not fair. Right. So she, she can't, she has to have, but she has this amazing ability of moderation. She'll have like one little bit of shortbread and she's like, that's enough, but it's like having it in the, in the, in the cupboard makes her feel safe. Right. And Mm -hmm. she's much more of the, she stops when she's full, everything in moderation, you know, in general, I would say sort of like a Mediterranean type eating. So a little bit of fish, a little bit, but mostly what it is, is that she's just very, I don't know, just fairly mindful, fairly calm and fairly able to say like, yes, I, I, you know, I, I'd like a little bit of that and a little bit of this. She's very different than me. I am much more like rule bound. And I really I really work very well with non-negotiables. It's just who I am about everything. Like I have non-negotiables about my exercise. I have non-negotiables about like James, my partner and I have like booked in schedule for quality time of like going on dates with our puppy dog. And, and it's just like, that's just how my brain works. I really like structure um, and working in therapy to be a little bit more flexible because, you know, too much of anything, the dose makes the poison. So too much of a good thing is like too much, but so 
you know, with me, I'm the opposite. If I, chocolate is my thing. I love fudge bars. So, you know, if I had them in the house, I would just eat all of them. So I just don't have it in the house. So that's an example of neither way is better or worse. It's just what is going to work for you long-term. So part of your fitness future self in the book is I get, I, there's a, you know, questions you can ask yourself. You sort of analyze your past history. What has worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? Um, and that's, you know, with nutrition, a huge thing is like most of us, you know, we've been alive for quite a many years. So you can look back for 20 years and you can say, okay, when did I feel the best? When did I feel the worst? When was I most consistent? What foods make me feel great? What foods, you know, did, did not feel great. When did I get the best sleep? When was my digestion the best? When, like, there's all of these questions that you can ask. And for the most part, we know when our body is homeostasis, we know when we're in equilibrium, we know when we have energy and we feel vital and it's easy for us to trick ourselves, and it's easy for us to self-sabotage and be like, well, I want this, or, you know, a certain diet says that this food is is healthy. So I should be able to eat it, but there's lots of things that I've been told in my life, you know, that are healthy and they, they haven't worked for me. Um, so I think part of it is just dialing into what feels right. Um, part of it is dialing into, you know, you said earlier, I used the word like nutrition theory. And I think for the most part, this doesn't go for everything and everybody, but for the most part, I also think it's a matter of reframing it that it's not actually nutrition theory for the most part it's nutrition marketing um right like a lot of the time we get caught in this idea of like okay well you know gluten-free is good so if the packaging says gluten-free then it must be healthy it's like well no 10 gluten-free cookies is just as bad for you as 10 like it's just too much cookies no matter what right or we think oh well protein is good for us so then if you see a marketing it's like protein chips or protein bars but it's like well no like just look at the ingredients there's a bunch of crap in there right so yeah i think for the most part most of us need to to really hone in on the basics before we get caught up in the complexity like most of us start to mow the lawn when the house is on fire right like if we you know Okay. So I'll give you an example. I have a client, this was many years ago, but it really stuck with me. One day she came in, she's like, Kathleen, I have a question. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, she's like, should I be eating my carrots cooked or, or uncooked? Cause like, which one is going to help me lose weight? And like, I, I shouldn't be saying it as a joke because I understand that she really was very, very like serious about this question, but I think it's really emblematic of this idea of we get caught up in these little questions. And I'm not arguing that we couldn't have a debate about what happens to carrots when you cook it and all those nuances. But what I'm saying is she didn't gain the 50 pounds she needed to lose because she was eating cooked carrots versus raw carrots. She gained 50 pounds because she wasn't moving her body. She wasn't sleeping. She was eating way too many processed foods. She was eating way too much sugar. Like, so in like maybe cooked carrots versus raw carrots is something if you're doing a figure competition, you can get down into the weeds of that stuff. But for the most of us, stop making it so complicated. That's just a way that we self-sabotage. We're like, well, if we don't know the answers to these really little itty gritty like nuances, then I can't continue. It's like, well, no, you can, you know, put three meals in front of you. You might not know what the very best one is, but you sure as hell know what the worst one is. And what happens for so many people is they'll have, you know, a salad with one topping there, a different salad with like maybe fish and veggies here. And then they'll have like a burger and fries. They're like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Is it better to have the fish and the veggies or should I have the salad? Well, the salad has dressing the fish. Maybe it was cooked in oil. Oh man, I'll just have the burger. It's like, 
what are you talking about? Like, it's so, like, so don't worry about getting the ultimate, like best choice. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like if you become a figure comp- like competitor or whatever, you're like an elite athlete for sure. Nail down the nitty gritty. But before you worry about that stuff, stop eating like white, nutritionally vapid foods. Stop eating when you're full only eat when you're hungry. Stop eating a couple hours before you go to bed so that you can sleep. Stop eating lots of processed sugars, eat lots of fresh fruits and vegetables. If you cannot pronounce the food, like the ingredients, don't eat it. Mm -hmm. Maybe eat foods that are the ingredients, right? Like broccoli, what's in broccoli is broccoli. What is in like olives is olives. So eat foods where you can pronounce the ingredients and the ingredients are the ingredients. And I don't know if you know, there's this um, nutrition uh, coaching certification called precision nutrition. I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have the level two um, precision nutrition, but people should look up. They have this fantastic visual. I'll try to find it and send it to you. So you can put it up if you do show notes, but basically what it is, is like all the different diets. So like keto and low carb and all this, it's, it's a, it's a visual. Mm -hmm. Um, And then right in the middle is everything that those diets have in common. And their point is, is that we fight about all the external stuff when really every single one of them says at the heart of it, the same thing. They Mm -hmm. say, eat more vegetables, stop eating sugar, be mindful, stop eating when you're full, like all of those things. Um, And everybody, those are the things I want people to dial down in. And in order to do things, I want you to find ways that you can do them consistently, right? It doesn't matter what you do once a month. It matters the habits that you can do on a consistent, consistent basis. So mm-hmm. get rid of the sort of complexity um, and, and listen to what you know and listen to your body. Mm. Yeah. Oh, such good advice. Thank you. I, uh, oh. God, I have so many questions. We're like almost at the top of the hour. That's like that's five hours long. <laughs> yeah, like, can we make this five hours long? Um, I think where I want to, I, th- I think I want to um, pull the thread of nutrition a little bit more. It's you know, it's almost the holiday season um, when things like cookies and cakes, and mm-hmm. we're talking about sugar, right? We're talking about maybe processed things. Maybe they're things that you've made at home. I'm wondering if there is some kind of advice or like approach that you have with folks during the holidays that have this concern of like, well, what do I do around all the cookies and the cakes and make them healthfully? Do we, do you share recipes, things like that? Yeah. So I think I would say kind of two things. So the first would be system, system, systems, which I'll get into what I mean by that. And the second would be the middle ground. So um, let's start with systems. So basically the idea of systems is creating, um, rules or ways of being, um, now that constrain your future self. So I don't know if you know the Greek myth of Odysseus, but basically in short, he, there were these sirens and, um, when boats would go by, the sirens would entice the sailors. And then, um, you know, I don't know if they would be locked up for life or like tied up for life or they would be killed. I don't exactly know what the sirens did with these men, but anyway, the (laughs) idea is that Odysseus knew that these sirens were going to be there and everybody else that, that, um, that sailed before him sort of said, it's okay. I'll be strong enough. I will resist these sirens. Um, And then of course they weren't. And Odysseus was smart enough to say, we will not be able to resist these sirens. So we are going to tie ourselves up and we are not going to, so that the sirens cannot 
entice us, right? So as he was sailing past the sirens, like all the other sailors, he wanted to go, but he couldn't because he was him and his first mate, like they were all tied up, like literally tied. So if you think about sirens being your desires, the things that you know you're going to want and tying yourself up being your sort of measured self, that's what we all need to do. So I'm not saying that you can never have a cookie. I'm not saying you can never have a glass of wine. What I'm saying is decide in advance the sort of portion sizes that will make you feel um, healthy and happy and moderate because we all have like, listen, life is worth living. Um, it's short. Um, we've been, you know, we're coming out of COVID last holiday season. We really didn't get to do anything. So it's important to sort of enjoy and embrace. And, and I'm a big believer in all of that. So it's not that I think that you need to tie yourself up. So you do nothing. It's that I want you to think, you know, for the last 20 years, when are the times that you felt like, Oh, I had a treat and I was satisfied and that was enough. And when are the times that I went so bonk or crazy that then I felt disgusting for a month um, and figure that out in advance and then make yourself rules of engagement for the holiday season. So maybe you say, okay, when I go to a party in between each glass of wine, I'm going to have a glass of water. Or when I go to a party, I'm going to make sure that I offer to bring a healthy salad or homemade cookies. So I know the ingredients ingredients and something that's there. Um, or I say, when I go to a party, I'm going to stand away from the food table so that I'm not tempted to nibble. Or I say, I'm going to make sure that I take a very small plate so that this, the plate is instead of a big plate. So then, you know, I still feel like I'm satisfied because it's the food on the plate takes up the entire plate, but I'm not, you know, it's, it's by you're, you're forcing yourself into smaller portions, or I'm going to say, I'm going to allow myself X amount of indulgence twice a week when I'm out, but because I'm indulging when I'm out, I'm going to be extra careful when I'm at home. Or I'm going to say before I eat anything sugary, I'm going to make sure I have lots of vegetables, right? Because the vegetables, like if you eat something fibrous before you eat, you know, something more carby, something that's going to um, more negatively affect your blood sugar, then um, the fiber helps to offset that. So your blood sugar reaction is better. Or I'm going to say every single party that I go to, I'm going to go for a 20 minute walk after the party, leisurely walk, because again, that's going to positively, positively impact my blood reaction, like after all that sugar. So, um, like those are examples. And I, again, if everybody gets one thing from listening to me, like yammer on is that you have to figure out what works for you. Right. So, um, my, one of my things I do at parties, it's a non-negotiable. I do not eat nibblies. Like when I, you know, if I sit down at a dinner party, I for sure have the dinner. I thoroughly enjoy it, but I don't eat and stand because I just find that I eat way too much. I'm not enjoying it. I'm talking, I get food in my teeth. I'm, you know, so that's one of my kind of rules. I really try not to eat when I'm cooking food because I, otherwise I find that, you know, by the time I sit down for dinner, I've had like two meals. Um, so so many ways to tie yourself up. I don't, I don't have my favorite junk food in the house. Like I love my fudge bars. So um, I keep a box at my mom's house. If I want one, I can go there or James and I will have date night. Like we'll, we'll go out for ice cream or we'll go out for a treat. So, you know, I believe in what I call the love it rule, which is like indulge in things that you love. So that'd be the other thing I would say to people. Like if there's 10 treats, pick the thing you actually enjoy and have a little bit of that. Don't have a bunch of crap that you don't actually like, right? Like I don't like gingerbread. I don't like shortbread. So I don't, I just, I'm like, nope, those like, I don't eat that. I don't eat that. I don't eat that. Oh, I like chocolate. Oh, there's three options. Okay. What of those three do you think is going to give me the most joy? I have a, like a, a moderate portion. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think all of that is so critical. It's really that idea of really using sort of 
the knowledge of who you are when you're not in an emotional state to plan what you're going to do and then creating the systems because you can feel as motivated as you want right now to eat well and to exercise, but motivation is an emotion, right? And when you set your goal, you normally feel very motivated January 1st, you know, Sunday night for the week, but then the follow through, you're feeling less motivated. So that's where the systems come in because when you're feeling less motivated, you've had a little bit to drink maybe. And when you've had a little bit to drink, then you're just, you're, you know, that sort of self-survey muscle is a little bit inebriated. So then you end up having more food. So if you've created a system in advance um, of more water, or maybe you say to your partner, listen, um, please remind me uh, that of what my future self will want. Like, so, you know, James, it's not that he ever says like, don't eat that Kathleen, but we have a little code word, which is like, if I say, Oh, do you think I should have that? All he says is, what do you think your future self will think? So it's not like, it just allows me a pause, a moment to be like, Oh God, you're right. I will not be happy if I do that. Um, so those are all systems and, you know, be kind to yourself because they take a long time. Like it takes a long time to figure out what systems work for you and what doesn't. Um, and then connected to that is the, this idea of sort of finding the middle road and, I think that when it comes to health and fitness, we often think that it's either everything or nothing. And again, I was talking to a client yesterday and he was saying that he'd gone to a wedding and he's like, you know, Kathleen, what's really interesting is I, as I got older, what I realize is if I had had three fewer drinks, I would have actually had a better time and my next day would have been better. So mm-hmm. what he was saying to me is that this was data for that middle road because he, he, like most of us is actually better. Like he's, he can do things if he has no drinks. And then as soon as he has one, it ends up being this all like, oh, well, I already, so who cares? You sort of snowball and then you end up having, I don't know how many he had, probably seven or eight, right? But you go past the point where it's actually enjoyable. And that's what we, most of us do with almost, with so much to do with. It's like, well, you have one cookie, so you have 10, you have a bowl of ice cream and it's like, oh, who cares? I've fallen off my horse. What does it matter? I might as well do X. It's the like, screw it mentality. Um, And I think the older we get and the more mature we get, it's not really old in age. It's actually more old and wisdom and maturity, we can say one cookie is not the same as 10. One bowl of ice cream is not the same as an entire tub. One glass of wine is not the same as eight. And what is the zone that will make me the happiest? Like, what do I need versus what do I want? What is my future self going to be happy with? Right? So I know that if I have even one shortbread, I'm not going to be happy because I don't love it, but I do love chocolate. So, you know, a a couple things of chocolate will make me very happy. But if I have 14 things of chocolate, I feel disgusting. I can't sleep. My tummy doesn't feel well. So I don't know. I just urge people to sort of, I don't know, create some systems, be compassionate. It's all learning, um, but really work to foster that middle ground and not let themselves have those screw it moments. Right. Cause that's just a method of self-sabotage because, you know, the dose really does make the poison. Like it's all in how much it's not just, it's not a light switch. It's not like, do you do it or do you not do it? It's that dimmer switch and figuring out where on the dimmer switch, what will make your future self happy. Mm, Yeah. Oh, so good. Kathleen. I I don't know about listeners, but I have been sitting here furiously (laughs) note-taking. Um, so many good phrases to remember, um, things that I'm going to be putting in the show notes that you've referenced. And I, I, I'm trying to choose between one of two last questions. And I think I'm going to go with talking, asking you, so I'm going to ask you the last question, but before I do, I, this idea is sprouting in my mind that like, 
the other question that I would have asked you is really important. So I'm phrasing it this way because I, we're heading into 2022, the new year. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think it'd be really fun if you'd be into it doing round two. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I love so, to talk about this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I probably could like, we could just do this regularly. <laughs> yeah, I totally really, yes, because we're so in line. Our, I've listened to enough of your podcast to know that our philosophies mesh. You have a great, like your energy is really positive, which I think is so important. I think it's so important for health and wellness uh, providers and practitioners to offer a safe container to people. And it's not about shaming yourself, right? It's, it's about holding yourself accountable, but it's about holding yourself accountable because you care and respect yourself. And um, and that, that, that the difference between that sort of shaming and guilt is so important, right? Like, so guilt is like, I feel guilty about an act. You know, I don't, I didn't, I don't love that. I skipped a workout, but shame is like, oh, you skipped a workout. You must be a bad person. Like shame connects it to you as an identity. And that's a huge thing. And that's what I liked about your podcast is I never once, and I was listening, I didn't felt shamed. I felt, mm-hmm. you know, you're holding your listeners accountable and you're saying like these actions, you know, these can make you feel better. Or this like doing the yoga will create the fitter future self to use my language, but it never felt um, shameful. And I think that that's, that's critical. It's about, cause shame might, that might, might make you do one workout, maybe make you do two workout, but two workouts, but long-term it's, it's not, um, what creates a healthy relationship with your body and with your mind. And, and it doesn't spur you for consistency long-term. And it also feels like crap. So if you can make yourself work out and exercise from a different place, why wouldn't you, right? Like, that's the thing. Like who needs that voice in their head being like, you're worthless and you skipped a workout. So you must be a lazy person. It's like, well, no, you skipped a workout because you were tired or you were stressed at work, you know? And so then we get back to get course, correct, get back on the horse and figure out why you fell and get back on a more informed rider. Right. So anyway, exactly. That's my very long-winded answer of saying, I would love to come back a second time. Well, you kind of gave us a preview of where it was going with that when you said long-term, because what I wanted the question that I want to talk to you about on our next podcast and in which I really want to do this with you is long-term fitness goals and how to make that lifestyle shift. And that's a topic that I'm sure you and I could spend an entire hour, two hours, a whole day talking about. So I'm going to drop that there as a tease. Okay. I love it. Let us, let our listeners know we'll be back to talk about that. And what I want to spend a little bit of time before we close talking about is, um, something that it's deep, I think you're knowledgeable about, which is, um, the hormones and in particular dopamine in terms of kind of switching gears, I think maybe a little bit more towards the exercise lens or, um, yeah. I mean, it's not inseparable. It's, it's not, yeah. we can't separate that right from, I, I love your three pronged approach, your mm-hmm. three pillars approach, but yeah, I'll yeah. leave that there yeah. and, t- and so tell me what you that's think. Really, um, okay. So well, that's interesting that you <laughs> thought that that would be going to more the, the exercise. So, okay. So where do I, I'm going to step back and just sort of, before we started filming or recording, I was telling you about this podcast that I loved called the Andrew Huberman, um, podcast. And he's a scientist from Stanford. So if people are liking this topic, what they need to do is go and listen. He has like a whole month talking about dopamine, or they should read. There's a book called the molecule of more, which is like literally a book all on dopamine and understanding dopamine. Um, and Andrew Huberman also did a podcast with, um, on impact theory, the Tom Bilyeu podcast, where he talks a lot about dopamine. So I think the difference with how I'm thinking about dopamine is 
a lot of people think about dopamine being connected, like you exercise, you feel good, like the sort of horm- like the endorphin hormones. But what Andrew Huberman is trying to bring our awareness to is actually the that dopamine is connected to our reward system. So it's more about um, it's what motivates us to do things. So I don't know, he quotes a lot of this study with rats, I think it was, and it was if they took the dopamine producing ability out of their body, the rats would, if there was food beside them, they would eat it. So it didn't, it didn't mean that they wouldn't do like have pleasure, but if the food was like across the room, they wouldn't forage across the room to, to, to get it. So the dopamine is connected to our brain's reward and motivation to get the reward. So he is really um, looking at in the book, The Molecule of More, is looking at understanding that there are certain chemicals that are more like what they call the here and now chemicals. So serotonin, oxytocin, like things where you feel good in the moment. And then there's certain chemicals that are there to drive us to do future oriented things. And his, especially on impact theory, what he was talking about is this idea of connecting dopamine release to growth mindset. So Carol Dweck's idea of growth mindset is the idea of that everything you do is like, okay, so this is data. And then you feel really good about the little wins. Um, And then a lot of time with health and wellness, it's very hard because everybody thinks that it has to be really big wins. So it has to be running the marathon. It has to be, um, you know, winning a certain competition. It has to be getting to your lean body mass, but like, how do you get to those things if you can't make yourself consistent along the way? So what he was trying to get us to understand in both of those podcasts, um, is that it's actually, if you can connect your reward system to actually feeling good about your little wins, about feeling good about like, no, this is really hard and I'm going to push through it. Or my goal today is to do five things that scare me, or my goal is to fall off the horse and get back on a more um, informed rider. Then your brain actually gets that. That actually is a process that gives your brain a dopamine hit because it's like you have a reward and you get to the reward. And that is how you motivate yourself and how important understanding uh, those hormones and the release of those hormones are to keeping yourself motivated because that is basically one of the biggest problems about fitness is the emotions of the moment derail us from our fitter future self, but we can't get to our fitter future self if we can't control the moment. So once you understand that you can actually over time create a brain where you're creating dopamine release by getting connected to the rewards and the growth mindset and the little baby steps, then you actually can stay motivated and you can feel quite like high, quote unquote, by doing things like, oh, this is really, really challenging, but okay, if I push through, I will feel really good. So that that's sort of the idea with dopamine. I have a um, a re- uh, article on my website, I'll send it to you, uh, that I wrote a review of the molecule of more, and I have a little bit more information on dopamine, but it's just, I think really what it is, is I'm fascinated about understanding our innate brain and body chemistry, and then learning how to use it for good, not evil, basically. Like there are just things that are, that are part of how our body is physiologically created, created is probably not the the word I'm looking for, but that is just part of our innate, um, makeups. And we often think like, oh my God, we guilt ourselves about things that are, are just our makeup. Like, so what is a good example? Um, we, we are, we are unable to see everything in the world. Like just, we, our brain filters things. It goes into our spam filter, right? Cause we, if we saw every single stimulus, we would literally explode. So we filter things. Like if we, once we know how to drive, that goes into a certain aspect of our memory. So we can mostly drive and we can think about other things. And that is an amazing adaptive, um, quality. Yeah. I think the reason why I'm so fascinated with, uh, dopamine is that 
And I think that it's really interesting if we can learn what our innate um, biology and physiology is, what is the makeup of our brain and our body, and then use it to our advantage. Because so often we belittle ourselves for things that are actually part of who we are. So a really good example would be we default to sort of the path of least, least resistance, right? Like, so whatever is our habit is sort of what we do, but it, that can be not great for us if our habit is reaching for a cigarette, but if our habit is reaching for vegetables, that's really good. So it's like a neutral, a lot of our things that happen in our body are like neutral currency. And then it depends on how we use it. But if we don't understand that it's just innate part of who we are, we think that it's like a bug in our system, but really it's just a feature of being human. And you have to understand the feature, right? So you understand what serotonin does. You understand what dopamine does. You understand that we default to this, the path of least, least resistance and habits. And once you know how to do that, then you can say, okay, so I know I'll be more motivated if I can tap into the dopamine system. Okay. So I then set up little rewards. I know that I'm going to default to the path of least resistance. Okay. So then I make the healthy choices I want as easy as possible. I know that my brain filters things out, not because I'm a bad person, right? But because if I took in all of the stimulus that's out there, I'd literally explode. So the brain has to say, there's millions of things. What am I, what am I going to focus on? What's my spotlight of attention and what is going to go into my procedural memory? right? Like driving a car. Once you know how to do it, it's not, it doesn't take every ounce of your focus. So you can sort of do other things, you know, to, to some extent while, while you're driving, because it becomes automatic. So that automaticity is part of our innate, who we are as humans. Um, and we can often get really, really critical of ourselves instead of saying, okay, that's the science. That's how we are. So then how do we use that to our advantage? If we know we're going to default again, like, so then set up healthy choices that you have to opt out of versus things that you have to opt into, you know, and don't have a bag of chips beside the sofa. Cause you know that you're just going to go it, you're just going to eat it. So then, you know, that doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human, but know it and then don't have the chips there. So that's, I think the stuff that I'm the most interested right now um, is this, is those type of things of how we can use our understanding of the brain, our understanding of hormones to serve our fitter future self. And that that's um, hopefully will be when, when um, not if I write my third book, um, uh, that'll be some of the stuff that's in it. I just think it's so interesting. And I think the science is all out there. And the Andrew Huberman podcast, for example, is a great example of how the science is there. I just think now we need more people like you and more people like me that can sort of take it, boil it down and say to everybody like, okay, this is super, super cool. And it'll help you on your journey. So let's figure this out. Yeah. I love that connection of, you know, making it, um, something that tangible that we can understand and utilize, not just like this, um, very confusing scientific, uh, you know, process, which, you know, our bodies are these amazing, magical, I mean, it feels magical to me. I don't know about you machines that, um, we either take care of and they get better and they last us a long time or we neglect and they break down, right. It's a system that it's always giving us feedback. It's always talking to us. And if you listen, you really learn. It's cool. We just put a cycle back to where we started with in the interview of everything being a system and interconnected. We just did like a nice full circle. Yeah. Mm. I'll I'll send you the the articles about the dopamine that I wrote. And then if your listeners have any, they're curious on uh, that, they can read it. And there's yeah, some good information. Oh, so much good stuff in here to share. I am excited to do these show notes. Like I want to do them right now. I'm really motivated. Speaking of motivation. (laughs) (laughs) So Kathleen, thank you so, so much for your time. My pleasure. Um, 
I'm really looking forward to doing this again, especially with our topic for the new year, um, about long-term fitness and not just fitness, but like long-term goals and how to make that lifestyle. I really do think it's a lifestyle shift. You know, it's a long-term lifestyle change versus, um, a diet mentality. Absolutely. It's a lifestyle shift. And more than that, it's an identity shift. Ah, oh, that's so good. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will see you and all of your listeners in 2022. Yay. We can't wait. Thanks, Kathleen. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or even requests for future podcast topics, please feel free to reach out to me on social media handles, Facebook at Tessa Marie Tovar, Instagram, Yogi underscore Katniss, um, email address, Tessa.Tovar, that's T-O-V as in Victor, A-R at iCloud.com. I love to hear from my students and I'm always happy to talk about this kind of thing for you. If you don't listen, I don't do this. And my goal is to spread the word about what yoga means on and off the mat, in particular, spreading the word outside of the studio. Thanks for tuning in and have a lovely day. Bye.